I was thinking this past week about some dynamics for um, the Christmas season as it relates to some people. Some people, uh, for some people, Christmas is the most joyful time of the year because they get to see their family, they get to get caught up and hang out with them. But then for other people, it's a really sad season because they have to see their family, (laughs) they have to get off. Seriously, though, I mean, it's a really, it's a really, it's a mixed bag for people as it relates to Christmas. Some people um, really come alive at Christmas for different reasons, but then some people shut down. Some people enter into like a mild state of depression for a whole nother set of reasons. And, and then you have uh, some people that are really frustrated by Christmas and frustrated at anyone who celebrates the Christmas holidays because somewhere down the line they learned that um, Jesus wasn't even born in December, which is probably true. Um, and definitely a point to consider whenever you are considering worshiping and celebrating this holiday. But, um, you know, I have felt all of those emotions. Uh, at different seasons in my life, I've loved Christmas. At different seasons, I have hated Christmas. There have been times where I have I've held contempt for the holiday. And you might be here tonight and you may fall into one of those three categories. You, you love it, you hate it, and you're kind of frustrated, you know. Either way, what I'm hoping to do over the next couple of weeks is to balance you out, okay? How many of you are like, I need to be balanced out? What I'd like to do is to look in God's word and just see some simple things that I think will bring a sense of purpose to you as you enter into the holidays, wherever you're at in that category. Love it, hate it, frustrated, bring a balance in that this is, this is a season that you can celebrate um, without getting over-emotional one way or the other, but just worshiping and celebrating for the truth of what this holiday is. Let me start by saying is that it is more than likely true that Jesus wasn't born in December, okay? All, all the facts kind of point to he was, probably, he was probably born in early fall, maybe even on a Jewish holiday like the Feast of Trumpets or the Feast of Tabernacles or something like that. But listen, isn't it true? Does, does it have to be about the day that Jesus was born. Can it just as easily be about the fact, we can celebrate the fact that he came, right? And and Ken was alluding to that. By the way, Ken's cracking those um, jokes. If if you don't know who his wife is, his wife was the one singing over here, so his jokes don't even make sense, right? (laughs) She's a nice looking lady. She looks nothing like a Wookiee. So, hey, turn to John 1. Turn to John 1, and while you're turning there, I want to go ahead and give you my sermon in a sentence. If you're visiting, I like to give a sermon in a sentence. It helps us all stay focused in case we get off track, which is pretty typical for my um, style of teaching. (laughs) ADD, squirrel. Here's the sermon in a sentence tonight. God always sends light to subdue darkness. Okay, write that down. God always sends light light to subdue darkness. Let's look at John chapter one, starting in verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Let's pause. Let me save you some study time and just tell you that the word is actually a title for Jesus. Okay, so when you see this word, you'll notice if you look in your Bible, it should, that word, word is capitalized. Raise your hand if it's capitalized. 
Okay, just to get that out of the way. So the word is Jesus. Look what it says next. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Okay, so so far we've learned that Jesus is God, which is a really important fact to know. And we've learned that he was with God in the beginning. And of course, the beginning that John is talking about here is when the created universe happened, when God created the universe. And if you think about it, we know more about the created universe than John the Apostle did, right? Okay, but what he is saying is that Jesus was there. Jesus was there in the beginning and he played a huge part in the universe coming into existence. In fact, if some of you are familiar with Colossians 1 where it says that by him, by Jesus, all things were created. And it goes on to say that he is before all things and in him all things are held together. So everything exists. Try not to be distracted, you guys. You guys are about to have a, um, a, a good time. So don't get distracted with stuff going on here. Everything that exists was because of Jesus and was for Jesus. And Jesus just happens to be the glue that holds it all together. It says, in him, in Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. Okay, so I remember when I first became a Christian, everything was a simile and a metaphor. (laughs) Everything that you read and the preacher is preaching, and it's all similes and metaphors. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who hid three pecks of flour. Excuse me? What? The kingdom of God is like a dragnet cast into the sea. I mean, you're hearing this stuff, and you're like, I think I saw that movie, you know? (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed seed in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I mean, the things you learn, I didn't know that mustard even came from a seed. You're hearing all this stuff and you're learning. That reminds me when um, I, mine and Melissa's first date, okay, by the way, she asked me out, just to clarify that. Um, our first date, she asked, was it her? No, 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 no. Here's the point. Don't let her fool you. She came to me and said, how you doing? And I got my mullet and I said, I'm doing all right. <laughs> she asked me to a R.W. Shambach revival. I didn't even know what a revival was. And I didn't know what uh, Shambach, I thought it was a beer. You know, were we going to a beer revival? Okay. And it was at Rose Heights Church, I remember that. And so we go and, and I pick her up and we go and, and we're walking up to the building. And she says, um... Remember, this is, this is November of 1991. We're both 17, and I am lost as a goose. She was trying to win me to the Lord. And we're walking up to the church, and she said, so um, if I raise my hands, don't freak out. And she says that I said this out loud. I don't remember saying it out loud, but I know that I thought it. I didn't know you could ask questions at church. <laughs> Now, you charismatics get that, right? <laughs> she was talking about worshiping, and I thought, man, cool. Don't you wish you could have asked questions? You can't ask questions. If you ever have a question, actually, don't ask questions. That'll get me off. That'll deter us. But it was similes and metaphors all over the place. Our God is a consuming fire. I mean, and so many more metaphors all over the place. But then here, you see John say that Jesus is light. 
He doesn't say that Jesus is like light. And I suppose you could look at this and see it as a metaphor. But look what he says. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. First of all, light is capitalized. Which means that light is another title for Jesus. Just like the word was a title for Jesus. Since we know that Jesus was there in the beginning. That he created the universe then we know that any form of light that exists, hear me please, is a model or a reflection of who he is and what he does, has done. You don't have to turn to Genesis 1. Most of us are familiar with it, but but I'm gonna read it to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the deep, the surface of the deep. And the spirit was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and then look, God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and he called the darkness night. When God put the sun and the moon and the stars into existence, into the sky, it was his first act of announcing Jesus' role and relationship to his creation. Think about it. In the first creation, darkness was upon the face of the deep until God called light into being. And when he did, the face of the deep was no longer overwhelmed, ruled by darkness. Now, we've just come out of a teaching series called Transformation. And one of the things that we repeated almost every week is that that if anyone is in new Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed. Behold, new things have come. Jesus is doing in our lives the very thing that he was doing in the very beginning, subduing darkness. Why? Because God always sends light to subdue darkness. Look what he goes on to say in John 1 verse 5. He goes on to say, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, some of your Bibles may translate that. The darkness um, didn't understand it or it wasn't understood. The, the real translation of that word, the best translation of that word is overcome or subdue. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it, couldn't subdue it. One of the favorite toys in my house is flashlights. They love flashlights. In fact, that's one of the things I got my daughter, Emma Kate, who's five and she's a girl, I got her a flashlight for her birthday. And she loved it. Why? Because flashlights are cool and you can do all kinds of stuff. And... But think about it. You're in a, a dark room and you're completely overwhelmed. Darkness is ruling. And then you turn on even the smallest light and darkness no longer rules the room. Isn't that right? Like we said, God always sends light to subdue darkness. Once the light comes... Darkness has no ability to overcome or overwhelm. Even night, which is what God called the darkness, right? In Genesis 1, 5. Even night has light to govern it. Moon, stars, darkness is no longer in control. So, pause. When we say that Jesus is the reason for the season, how much of it is about December the 25th? Really? Very little. The date really has no significance. What we're celebrating is 
that our light has come. Can I get an amen? Some of you may remember this song. Sean wrote it several years ago, Sean Kirkpatrick. And if I remember right, he wrote it um, during one of these series. He was inspired by something amazing that I said, I'm sure. But the chorus is, we will arise and shine for our light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon us. Y'all remember that one? What was once guilt and shame is now a resounding song. Singing of hope, life, love that we have found through your spirit, God. Our light has come. How many of you remember that song? Did y'all know Sean wrote that? It's a good tune. He brought it. It's a really good song. I've told him I think that's one of the best worship songs ever. This is what we're celebrating. That our light has come. We're celebrating John 1, 9. That there was a true light that came into the world and enlightened all men. We're celebrating John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among men. And we saw his glory. Everybody say glory. glory. Like you were in some, you know, really big um, Pentecostal black church. Glory. glory. Say it. Come on, people. Wake up. We're talking about Jesus. So you can write this down. Write this down. Here's why we're here. Here's why we're celebrating Christmas. Tis the season of turning our attention to the true light who took the time to tabernacle with us. Tis the season of turning our attention to the true light who took the time to tabernacle with us. Turn to Exodus 25. And I'll, I'll validate that statement a little bit more. And glory. Yes. We need white hankies. Pretty hats. Exodus 25. Now this is a very important conversation that God has with Moses. Really, really. I mean, for the, I mean all of it's an important conversation. But this is especially important for the people of Israel, but also for us. Starting in verse 8, here's what it says. Let them, the people of Israel, construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them according to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furniture, just so you shall construct it. Okay, so it's time for God to teach Israel who he was and what he was up to. And so what God does is he opens up the heavens, okay, for Moses to see. And he gives Moses a glimpse of his house, okay, God's house, God's dwelling place in heaven. And he says, Moses, I want you to create a replica of this dwelling place on earth. And this would be the place where God would come and meet with or dwell with man. And it was to be called the tabernacle. Now the word tabernacle means to dwell. In fact, you could read John 1, 14 like this. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. Simply put, the tabernacle was a special place full of special things that served a special purpose. One really special thing inside of the tabernacle was the lampstand, okay? The lampstand. God said, tell Moses to make a lampstand. This lampstand, and this is a, a, this is a, a, a small replica, but this lampstand would have been um, quite large, maybe my height or so, and we'll talk more about that in a second. 
But the lampstand would be placed inside of the tent of meeting, okay? Now, if they didn't put the lampstand there, then the tent of meeting would be very dark because of the material that the tent was made out of. But God doesn't let darkness control an environment, does he? So let's make a lampstand. Because God always sends light to subdue darkness. The Hebrew word for lampstand that you'll find is the word menorah. Everyone say menorah. Menorah. Don't confuse it with manure. Not even close. Not even close. Menorah. And I want to share a few things about the menorah itself. But before I do, um, I want to mention that the menorah, this, this thing that you're seeing, has been a symbol for Judaism for 3,000 years. In fact, it's part of their national emblem. Their flag, of course, has the Star of David, but their, their national emblem is the menorah surrounded by um, olive branches. Okay? And so it was, a, it was the oldest symbol of the Jewish people that you'll, you'll probably even think of or find. In fact, in 70 AD, most of us know that in 70 AD is when the, um, the temple was destroyed. And the Roman general Titus, he took the city of Jerusalem captive. He destroyed the temple and then he took all the valuables from the temple and he displayed them in like a, like a victory parade, okay? And then sometime later, they made a memorial of that victory and they created an embossment, an embossment of that parade. Can you put that picture up there? Okay, this exists. I don't know how well you can see it. This still exists. You can see it. Obviously, they, somebody took a picture of it, okay? But they created this embossment on the gate of Titus. This was built in Rome, okay? Um, and so this is what it looks like now. And so they've done some, some tweaking, I guess, in Photoshop or something. And this is probably what it originally looked like. Can you put up the next one? Okay, so this was an embossment on the gate of Titus that depicted the victory parade after Jerusalem was ransacked, temple was destroyed, and the items in the tabernacle, or rather the temple, were taken. Now, think about this. Think about this, you guys. Of all the ways... They could have boasted their victory over the nation of Israel. Of all the ways, they chose to carve out the scene of the Jewish captives forced to carry these articles, these items of the temple. That's how they depicted, of all, of all the ways. They, I mean, they could have had Titus, like, you know, doing his selfie or something, all, like, anything. But this is what they chose to do. And then what's right smack in the middle of it? The menorah. It's like darkness attempted to overcome light, right? If, if you really think about it. But here's the reality. The reality is the true light had already come. <laughs> and Rome may have won the, the, the little earthly battle, but Jesus had already won the heavenly war. Amen? Okay? So God tells Moses, make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand is this base and its shafts are to be made of hammered work. It's cups, it's bulbs, it's flowers, a lot of weird words. You'll learn what that's about over the next two weeks as we do this light series. Six branches shall go from its sides, three branches on the one side, three branches on the other side. Every week we lift up our Bibles and we, we say, thy word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Our, thy word, Psalm 119, thy, 119, thy word is a lamp. Say that. Thy word is a lamp is a lamp. We can say it like this. Thy word is a light. 
Let's see if we can see the word in the light. You want to? You got your notepad ready? If you don't take notes, you miss out. Because what I say is always good. Okay, so write this over the title of this section for your notes. Searching for Messiah inside the menorah. Searching for Messiah inside the menorah. And I want to break it down into, into four sections, okay? The first section is the material. The material that the menorah was made out of. Exodus 25, starting in verse 31. It says, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. And then if you look down in verse 39, it says, it shall be made from a talent of pure gold. A talent of is a measurement, and it's roughly 75 to 100 pounds. Uh, theologians you know, have differing opinions on how much it actually is, but it's somewhere between 75 and 100 pounds. Either way, that's a lot of gold, right? Okay, so th- think about a 75 to 100 pound block of gold. This was the material. This was the starting place for making the menorah. And I want to give you three, three words in the materials to help you remember um, the symbolism. One is glory. The other one's holy. And the third one is worthy, okay? Each of these sections is going to have a, a few little words of memory or whatever, okay? So glory, holy, and worthy. The first one is glory. Gold is a symbol of divinity. It's a symbol of deity. It's a symbol that represents glory. In Hebrews 1, 3, and stay with me, it says that the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, it goes on to say that the exact, he's the exact representation of God's nature. Jude chapter 1, which there's only one chapter, but Jude 1, 25 says, listen to me carefully, to the only God, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ, be glory. Okay? Jesus, his whole aim upon this earth, his primary objective while on this earth was to bring God glory. So in the material, you can see a picture of Jesus. Why? Because that was his only objective. Jesus himself said that towards the end of his life. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Okay, so the material is gold. One thing it represents is is what Jesus even came for, to bring God glory. The second thing is um, that gold is a symbol of purity. A lot of us know that. Okay, it has been. We've seen that. So the second word is holy. Gold is a symbol of purity. In 1 Peter 1, it says that we weren't redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood, comma, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. In other words, you weren't, you weren't purchased with anything except for a pure, holy, righteous sacrifice. Jesus it goes on to say the blood of Christ. Hebrews 4 says we, says we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weakness, but we have a high priest who has been tempted in all things and yet was without sin. The fact that it was made out of gold is another picture of Jesus. Why? Because gold is symbolic of purity, holiness. And we know that Jesus was a sinless sacrifice that paid the price for our sin. Amen? The third word is worthy. And of course we know that. Gold is a symbol of value. When it all comes, you know, when everything goes to pot, gold still has value somehow, right? Okay? Again, First Peter, same scripture. You were not redeemed with things like gold and silver, but with precious, the precious blood of Christ. How many, how many of you remember that old hymn? Um, I'd rather have Jesus. Remember that one? Than silver or gold. 
I'd rather have him than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-scarred hands. And then it goes on. Than to be the king of a vast domain. And be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today <laughs> you guys remember that hymn i mean that is that is it that is the point he is worthy the gold points to his worthiness so the material we talked about the material well, in isaiah 28 just a just one more scripture on that because this is a lot of people skip over this but god told isaiah in a prophetic moment one time i'm laying a stone in zion he says i am laying i have laying a stone and it is a tested stone meaning it has been purified a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed, and he who believes in it will not be disturbed. <laughs> okay, so it's easy to see in the material of the menorah, we can see Jesus easily, but what about in the method? In other words, the method, how it was created. You want to talk about the method? We got time? We got plenty of time. We're doing good. So the next thing it says is that the lampstand and its base, so you can see this, you can see the lampstand here. The lampstand and its base, its shafts, are to be made of hammered work. Its cups, its bulbs, its flowers shall be of one piece. Okay, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to give you a few words to remember this by. Okay, the method. The three words are appointed, anointed, and afflicted. You ready? Are you writing these down? They're going to be up there. The first thing is appointed. Now, I'm going to blow through this um, um, so that we make sure we have plenty of time at the end for communion. But listen, that word appointed is huge because the method that God chose of creating the menorah was that he called a man for the task. I need you to build this thing, 75 pound or so block of gold. I need somebody that can make this. And so he calls on a name. Uh, it says, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit. Listen, in God, uh, of God in wisdom and understanding, knowledge, and all kinds of craftsmanship. In other words, the guy was a, was a craftsman. To make artistic design for work in gold, silver, bronze, and the cutting of stones for settings, and carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship, okay? So he called a man for this work. Stay with me. <laughs> okay, I have called by name Bezalel. Well, what about that famous Christmas, uh, Christmas verse? For a child will be born to us. A son will be given and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name shall be called. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. Same kind of language. Basil, um, called by the name of Bezalel. Jesus' name shall be called but even think about the encounter that, that Mary had with the angel. The angel shows up. is like, look, sister, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, how is that possible? I've never been with a man. And she, she says, how, how can I know this? How can this happen? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High, y'all listen, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Do you know what Bezalel's name is? The guy who made 
um, the menorah. Do you know what his name means? In the shadow of God. In other words, Bezalel, not only is, you'll see the, the menorah itself, a type or a picture of who Christ was and what he was up to, but even the guy who was appointed to create the thing was a type of Jesus. It's amazing, and, and we could go hours on that kind of stuff. Okay, so the method, appointed and then anointed. God gave the power for the task. Okay, it goes on to say that other guys were enlisted too, and it says that I have put skill in them. I have, I have put skill in them to create this. And you're gonna see why skill was needed in a few minutes. But think about that. What skill was Christ given to do the work that God called him to do here? Isaiah 61 tells us, I am, have been anointed, right? The spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, given me the power, the ability to bring good news to the afflicted. Real quick, everybody say afflicted. Afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and then to proclaim liberty to the captives. And it goes on and on. Proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is what Christ was anointed, the power given to Christ to do. So pause real quick. Of all the ways that God could have reconciled man back to himself, of all the ways that God could have redeemed sinful man, restored them, given them eternal life, of all the ways, how did he do it? His son became a man and God empowered that man to do what? Miracles? Is that what God empowered Jesus to do? I mean, yes, he did and that happened. But you know what the real power was to do? The third one, afflicted. The method that God chose for the menorah and for Jesus was affliction. Think about what it says the menorah was created, the method. It shall be of hammered work. Some of your Bibles literally say it shall be of beaten work. So get the picture of what they did. Think about a 75 to 100 pound block of gold. A guy named Bezalel, whose name means shadow of God, which can also be interpreted um, protected by God or provided for by God, has to create something like this, granted, you know, five or so feet tall, something this intricate and detailed out of a 75-pound block of gold, and the only way he was allowed to do it is with a hammer. A beaten work shall be of hammered work and of one piece. In other words, you can't chop it. You can't do this. It's got to be one piece. And the way that you get to the final product is with a hammer. And maybe a set of hammers. You got your big hammers. You got your little hammers, you know. But it's of hammered work. What is, you guys, what is that a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus, Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed or bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. First Peter talks about too, that, that Christ suffered in the flesh. Uh, I've taught this stuff before in different places and in a different way even here. But I'm going to read something that I read every time because I think it's a powerful point and it's, it says it better than I could. The lampstand, the menorah, was the only vessel in the tabernacle which was made of beaten work. It is in striking contrast from the golden calf which Aaron made. For that was cast in a mold. What is idolatrous and according to man's mind can be quickly and easily cast into shape. But that which has most of all glorified God and secured the redemption of his people 
was produced at a great cost. Clearly, the beaten gold here speaks of a suffering Christ glorified, glorified as the reward of his perfect but painful work. Isn't that good? Okay, so we have the material. We have the method. Let's look real quick at the model. In other words, how it looks. You look at it and let's talk about the the form of it, the model. It goes on in verse 32 to say that it'll have six branches going out from the sides. Okay? Three branches from the left side, three branches on the right side. I'm going to go ahead and just um, tell you about John 15.5. You know this. You've heard it. We've talked about it in the transformation series. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what you see in the menorah, and you can put these up, Jordan, you can see that he is the vine and we are the branches. Let me show you what I mean. This is the vine, right? The center shaft is the vine. And these are the branches. Three plus three. What is three plus three? Six. Now you may not know this and I don't have time to explain why, but in scripture... Six is the number of man, okay? Six is symbolic of man. And one is symbolic of God. Our God, he is one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three and one, right? So you have six plus one equals what? Which just happens to be the number of perfection, completion, wholeness. So in the menorah, in the way that God prescribed it to be made, the model, you can see that it's a picture or a model of God's desire to fellowship with us and then our need to be connected to him. Remember what he said? I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you're gonna bear fruit. And we're gonna talk about that fruit next week. It's, you're gonna be like, really? I'm gonna be like, yeah, can you believe it? Okay. But look what he says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, you're just man. Apart from Christ, there's no power. But when you connect yourself to the vine, now you have the ability to become something much more than man. I'm not saying we become gods. That's not what I'm saying. But you become the child of God that you were created to be, to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that next week as well. Christ is the vine, he is the vine, we are the branches. And remember, we are the branches, think about it, we're connected to that vine. We are connected to that center shaft, that center light. Well, what does Jesus say that one time? You are the light of the world. Come on, y'all listen, y'all know this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. What do they do? They put it on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify, there's that word again, glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now listen, this is a great transition to the last thing I wanna show you and that is the mandate. Because you can look at this and you can see the material and you can know about the, uh, the method it was created and the model, the form of it. But when you look at this, and this is something I really want everyone to gain tonight and grab and walk out with because there's also a mandate inside of the menorah. What was our sermon in the sentence? God always sends light to subdue darkness. God always sends light 
to subdue darkness. I wonder how many people in this room work in a very dark place or you go to school in a very dark place or you have friends that are very dark or you have family that are very dark. I have some good news for you. God always sends light to subdue darkness and you may very well be the light that will overwhelm the dark atmosphere where you're at. Look what it says in Ephesians 5. Let me give you this this first one. Um, The mandate is to walk in the light. Walk in the light. A couple scriptures, I could give you a lot, but we talked about this one during the transformation series. For you were formerly darkness. Remember what we said? He didn't even say you were in darkness. He said, you were darkness. You were dark. But now look what he says. Now you are light in the Lord. And he says, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. First John 1 says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. The, the, uh, the mandate that we can see in the menorah is that we walk in the light. The, the very thing that, that gold represented in the menorah and, and points to Christ, glory, holy, worthy, that is the mandate for us, that our lives glorify the Father. Isn't that right? And that we are holy, that we are pure, that we are blameless that we are moving towards perfection, not perfection as in we can be perfect. We probably won't be perfect till we're with him in heaven, but that word also translates maturity. Are we on the path towards maturity? Because that's the mandate. And then of course, to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received in Christ Jesus, that's the mandate. And the second thing is really simple. Jesus said it best, let your light shine. Let your light shine. You are the light of the world. City on the hill can't be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a lampstand. This was written in Greek, but if it was in Hebrew, it would say they put it on a menorah. And it gives light to all who are in the house. I love that. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I'm gonna give you one more scripture and then we're gonna take communion. In Matthew 4, 16, I don't think this is up there. In Matthew 4, 16, it says that the people, y'all listen carefully, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. And this is Jesus talking, he's he's quoting Isaiah 9. Let me read it one more time. The people who walk in darkness, they will see a light. If nothing else, they will see a light on the day of judgment. They will see a light. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. Isn't that true? They will, they will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. Why not let it shine on them now? We have a mandate to 
to live a life worthy of a calling. Those of you who have a burden for those that are in dark places in your life, in, your, in the environments, and you want to be a light, listen, be like, uh, um, um, what was his name? Bezalel. Be in the shadow of the mighty, almighty. Let God overshadow you. Be in his presence. Connect with him. Tonight, maybe even make that prayer, Lord, I come under the shadow of your wings tonight as I take this bread, as I drink this juice. Lord, help me to let my light shine. And you know what? I think it's a good idea to specifically pray during the holidays, Lord. (laughs) Again, back to how do you feel about Christmas? Some of you may be like, I hate this time of year, but you don't have to. Why? Because our light has come.